0: Welcome to the LifeSpring Church podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at LifespringChurch.us. So we have been talking about stewardship, more of a teaching session the last few Sundays, and as we continue on this Sunday and maybe even next Sunday. But every good teacher stops and does review. You got your notes ready? A couple Sundays ago, we talked through the, four prin- or the three principles of stewardship. How many remembers the three principles of stewardship? Look at all the hands go up. <laughs> so let's review. The first principle of stewardship is the principle of ownership. Oh, someone's helping you out. (laughs) The second principle of stewardship is the principle of accountability. accountability. And the third principle of stewardship is the principle of reward. reward. You guys are fantastic. You all passed reading class. The principle of ownership is God owns everything. God owns everything. He owns my life. He owns my house. He owns my car. He owns my silverware. Everything that is in my life is because God blessed me with it. God owns everything, and he's asked me to be a manager of those things he's blessed in my life. He's asked me to be a steward. That's what stewardship is. The responsible steward uses the things that the the master blesses them with. They use those things in return for the purpose of the master. So we use the thing God gives us for his purpose in the earth. So tithing is our partnership with God. So we talked about tithing last Sunday. It's our partnership with God. It's how God meets our needs according to his riches and glory. When we are faithful in our tithing, he says that we will not go with want, we will not go in need, but he will supply all of our needs. And we studied through how tithing was not just a church constructed idea where did this idea of tithing come from who was the first person to pay a tithe who remembers last Abraham was the first to give us a a prescribed amount for tithe he paid 10 percent to who was that guy's name Melchizedek Melchizedek. you guys you are smart (laughs) yes you remembered so this Sunday, we're going to talk about offerings, stewardship and offerings. Offerings, it is our partnership with LifeSpring Church, our partnership with the church. We're going to read a text today in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Have you ever been at a Christmas party or a birthday party or some place where you're exchanging gifts and there's somebody there who maybe isn't, normally it's a a child that doesn't understand all the gift-giving rituals, but somebody that just isn't real happy about giving up their gift. Maybe it's one of those, we call them what, white elephant gift exchanges, where the first person gets to pick a gift, and then the next person either chooses to get a new gift and unwrap it, or they can take the other person's gift that's already unwrapped. This is where we can find cheerful giving Waning and not so prevalent. But God wants us to be a cheerful giver. There's something powerful about being a giver. It actually creates capacity for you to receive more when you give not just to backfill what you have given, but God sees the giver and bountifully repays above and beyond what they have given. What is a free will offering? We're talking about offerings today. Offering is an act of stewardship, a free will gift to support God's will being done in the earth. This is over and above tithing. This is beyond tithing. This is Tithing is the first 10%. We talked about that last week. (coughs) Excuse me. Offering is the the next level of giving. It's the over and above our tithing. It is through this financial support of the local church that the local church is able to do the work of ministry. Offerings, excuse me, they fall under the category of the law of sowing And reaping. If you go in your backyard and you were to plant a single tomato plant seed. Place that single seed in the ground. Would you expect to have a garden full of tomato plants? Of course not. Your expectation is according to what you sowed. If you would have sowed a single seed, you would expect maybe... If all the conditions are right, that seed to germinate and a single plant to grow. But if you were to walk into your garden and you were to cast a handful of seeds into the garden, you would expect a multitude of plants to grow. And so it is the same with the law of sowing and reaping. The greatest blessing is the result of a free will offering. God's blessing is on the 90% after we tithe, And God's plan is that His blessing on the 90% goes further than a cursed 100%. Amen? We have Bible for that. We shared it last week, right? So we're trusting God with our 90%, and He's blessing, and He's meeting all of our needs. But when we go beyond and we give an offering unto the Lord, He abundantly gives in return. There's only one aspect in Scripture where God says, "Try me. Test me." This isn't irreverent to, try, to, to test God in response to our finances. He actually calls us or asks us, He opens the door and says, "Why don't you try me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing." Offerings follow this law of sowing and reaping. When we sow bountifully, we should expect to reap bountifully. What you sow is what you will reap. This is is true in finances. And and February is is our stewardship month. and, And we're taking the whole month this year to talk through stewardship. We don't normally do that every year, but we are this year. And the the topic is generally focused on finances, but, but sowing and reaping is more than just financial. It's our time. Someone may ask the question, well, how does this person know so much of the Bible? Well, because they've put time into reading the Word of God. It's easy to know who's read the Bible. It's those who are biblically literate. Those who have taken the time to consume the Word know the Word. If you've ever had a baby in your household, you know for the first few years of their life, you could recite all the baby stories, you can sing all the nursery rhymes, you've committed them to memory. You could be half asleep in the middle of the night and flip at the right time on every single page because you already know it. It's been ingrained in your memory. It's the same thing with our time. Whatever we commit our time to is what we know. We've seen people who have great intelligence and and learning and knowledge about some certain topic, but how did they get that is because they committed themselves and their time to it. There's some people that know sports statistics to the nth detail, to the smallest minute detail. And, and I sit back and I wonder, how in the world do you learn all that? How do you know all that? Talk about baseball batting averages, and they're talking about player from 1985, and they did this, and they did that. And I remember their fourth game, and this was the statistics from that game. And you're like, mind blown. It's because they committed time to it. They've committed their resources towards that. And it's the same with our time. Do we commit it to the reading of the word? Do we commit it to being in the house of God? Do we commit it to fellowship with the saints? Our talents. How do we sow our talents? What is your talent? That's probably the first question we should ask. I don't know what my talent is. Well, hold on. We're going to work on that this year. We're going to learn what our talents are. But if you know what your talent is, how do how do you employ that talent? Are you technically minded? Do you have the ability to work computers and, and understand technology? Well, then how do you use that for the kingdom of God? Are you a people person? Do you have the talent of being just an outgoing, in, uh, extroverted person and you just... Never met a stranger. How do you use that talent for the kingdom of God? Are you an organized person? Are you an administrator? How do you use that talent for the work of the Lord? Are you a teacher? How do you use that for the work of the Lord? How do we apply ourselves? To whatever extent we apply our time, talent, or treasure, however we sow it is what we will reap. Ecclesiastes... 11 to 1 tells us, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. God says, if you'll give in due time, I'll cause it to come back to you. There is a practice among the Jewish nations that they would take their bread and they would cast it on the water as an offering unto the Lord. And would you know that in a few days... Other bread would be coming down the river. Well, that's just because so and so in the next town upstream threw their bread on the water. You're absolutely right. But God used it as a principle to show that if you will give and they will give, what is being given will come together and will bless you. It's believed that the Jews picked up this idea. From the Egyptians. The Egyptians had a practice that when the rivers would flood into their banks. Remember now that Egypt is not the most fertile soil except right along the, the river that runs through the country of Egypt. And, and so as the rains would come and, and the banks would be covered up and the rivers would swell outside of those banks. There was a, a practice among the Egyptians that they would go along the, the low water and they would cast seed. It would just walk along casting seed. And as the waters would recede, that seed would fall into the moist soil and it would then germinate and then it would produce crops along the banks of the rivers. However you sow is how you will reap. You're familiar with the passage and the parable Jesus talked about the sower the Bible says he went into a field and he began to cast seed. And the seed fell upon stony ground and good soil and some of it fell upon ground and never had the opportunity to grow. Some of it fell upon soil and began to grow but when the sun came out it didn't have a root structure to support it and it was burnt up. And others fell on good ground and it produced much return. Notice that in this instance, this parable, God did not judge the sower on the results. God's res- res- re- excuse me. God's responsible for the results of the seed being sowed, but the responsibility on the sower was to cast the seed. So this is what it is with offering. It's the casting of our seed. It's the giving of our resources so that God can then give the increase, that God can give the resulting increase. It involves us taking the risk, or maybe a better way of saying it biblically is, for us having the faith to first be a giver And then we believe with hope in the return that God's going to bring. We don't give with expectation that God will take me from being a $10 heir and make me a millionaire. We give with the hope and the expectation that God will bless our church. And that our church will go from few to many that our church will go from people who have known the gospel and being obedient to the gospel to being full of those who are on their own journey and beginning their journey of obedience to the gospel. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, press down, Shake it together, and running over. There's simply one commandment to us, and then the rest of this passage is the result. Give. He didn't say give after you've pressed it down and shaken it together and accumulated it and built up a reserve and pulled out of your nest egg. He just simply said give. And the result is it will be given unto you in good measure. I did construction for a little while when I was a teammate, teenager and when you are framing a house you get to the part where you start to lay the decking on the roof and you normally have somebody on the roof with a tape measure and it's their job to measure the board to the next uh rafter to make sure you get the cut right and then when you get to the valley of the 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 roof you have to make sure you get the angle right and give them the right measurements so they can do that a good measure results in a board that fits there's a reason carpenters say well we cut it twice and it still don't fit because they got bad measurements something wasn't right The tape measure was stretched out long and it sagged. Or we we pulled it tight and and we pulled it loose at the end and didn't realize it. Or something happened in in the, the process of making the measurement. Can I tell you, if you will give to God, His return is not a bad measurement. His return is a good measure. Sometimes recipes are left up to interpretation. For example, how much is a pinch? Me, being somewhat analytical in my mindset, when following a recipe, I prefer it to give me the exact measurement, like half a cup of flour. That makes sense to me. I can put the, flou- the the measuring cup in the flour. I can smooth it off across the top, and I know I have exactly half a cup. But when they say a heaping half cup, I get lost. How heaping is a heaping half cup? Is that a challenge to see how much more I can fit on top of it? Because my half cup may end up being a full up by the time I get done heaping it all on top. God's measurements are good. There's no question to what God is going to do to you in response to you just giving. He says it'd be a good measurement. It'll be pressed down. I got lots of stories today. When we pick up leaves in our house, we would rake them into big piles, let the dog run through them so we could rake them all up again. Then we would gather the leaves and we began to place them in the, the garbage bin. We had a garbage bin that was specifically for yard waste. And you know what? It doesn't take very many leaves just to quickly fill up a garbage bin. But then I convinced one of my children, hey, climb up here in the garbage bin and let's stomp or let's press down these leaves because we haven't even got half of the first pile in here yet. And it's amazing how much room is left when you press it all down. We're familiar with this concept. This is what God does with his blessing. He doesn't just grab a handful of fluff and throw it your direction. He presses it down. He makes sure it's compacted. He makes sure there's there's no wasted space for what he's going to give back to you. Shaken together. I go back to my construction roots when I think of shaken together. I was never into finishing concrete or pouring concrete, but I, I've i watched as other crews would come on the job site and they would begin to pour concrete. And they had these little, these little tools. It was a wire and it, sometimes it would attach to a drill, sometimes it plugged in otherwise. And it had this big bulb at the end of it. Inside of it, it had this mechanism that made it just shake. And as they'd pour the concrete, they'd place that in the concrete and run it into the corners and run it along the edges. And that shaking would cause the air bubbles in the bottom to come to the top and and the concrete to flow down into that, that closed cavity where air had been trapped. You're shaking it together. Getting all the air out of it. You've pressed it down, you're shaking it, you've got a good measurement. And God doesn't stop there. He's done all of this to get it to the top. It's full to the rim. he says, okay, just put a little bit more on it and just let it run over. Just let it run over. I know it'll make a mess. I know we don't have any accountability for it. We probably can't measure it. How heaping is heaping? I don't know. Just let it run over. This is what God does when we simply give. He says, it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. This is the result of offerings. Tithing meets all of our needs. But the good measure, the pressing down, the shaking together, and the running over is the abundant and over and above blessing that God causes to be in our lives. He says, for with the same measure that you met or measured with, it shall be measured to you again. Let's be honest. We measure out our offering and give it. We normally don't press it down. We normally don't shake it together. It's normally not running over. It's just one big scoop and here you go, Jesus. And that's what he asked for. Just give. But he says, I'll take the same measuring cup. And I'm going to make sure it's abundant and it's overflowing. What does a blessed life look like? A blessed life is someone who's in a stewardship relationship with Jesus Christ. Someone who pays their tithes, they have no worry of need. For God says he would supply all of our needs. And a person who pays their offering, who makes a commitment to God to give over and above of their tithe. He says, then I will cause men to give unto your bosom. Let's let's look at another analogy of offerings. In the Old Testament, there was two different offerings that were offered. There was the heave offering and the wave offering. The heave offering is appropriately named because you would heave that part of the offering before the Lord. This heave offering was a first of your increase. In scripture it was always bring the first. And you would heave it before the Lord. The first 10%. A heave offering in old scripture is, is a vertical movement offering. You're heaving it. You're vertically lifting and pulling back down and lifting and pulling back down. It is taking that which is earthly and lifting it heavenwardly. It's also receiving the heavenly blessing of your needs that's being provided and bringing it back down to the earth. The heave offering would begin at the shoulder because it took some work to get it there. and Then you would heave it forward, upward. You would bring it back down to your shoulder and you would heave it upward and you would bring it back down to your shoulder. And this is a representation of tithing, of how tithing should be carried because tithing is what carries the load of supporting ministry. We talked about that last week. Tithing supports the ministers of the church. But the wave offering is different. The wave offering wasn't necessarily the first of your increase, but it was from the consecrated lamb. It comes from a place of commitment. It comes from a place of consecration. And you would take the breast meat of that consecrated lamb, and you would then wave it before the Lord. This is a horizontal action. It's taking that which is earthly And using it for an earthly purpose. Offerings. It's an act of consecration to God. Did you know giving an offering is an act of holiness? We're all holy people, right? We've made commitments and consecrations in our lives to live a holy life before God. That means a separated life before God. An offering is saying that I will consecrate... This part of my finances, my time and talent to God, and I will use this earthly thing that I have for God's purpose to be done in the earth. It's a horizontal action in the earth. The offering came from the breast of the animal, it's the truest measurement of a heart's generosity. So, offerings support the functioning of the church. So you give an offering, you're you're supporting the lights being on. We need lights for the church to function. I mean, unless you guys want to do candlelight every service. But then we need an offering to buy the candles. It was an offering that pays for the gas bill. Man, that's gone crazy lately. Has yours gone crazy? Think we're burning gold. The offerings help pay the guy that mows the yard every summer. The offerings help with the functioning of the church. Offerings help by the Sunday school literature that the kids use in Sunday school class. Offerings help by the toys that are in the nursery. Offering, and we could go on and on and on. Offerings help with the functioning functioning of the church. And so In order for the church to function, we we have avenues of giving. How do we give an offering? This is what we do at Spring Church. This isn't what every church does. It's just a way to help us organize our offerings. Here at Spring Church, we have the general fund. We have a His Hour fund, and we'll talk about that, and we have our campus fund. General offerings are any cash that's in the Offering plate on a giving time or someone that just wants to give online and there's no designation to it. It's just finances that are given to the church. They go into the general fund. There's no designation for those funds. There's no expectation for how those funds would be spent, assigned to them. They're just an offering given to the church. That's the easiest to explain. That makes sense. Next is campus offering. You say, but we only have a little building and a little parking lot. Why do we call it a campus offering? Because our offering and our idea of what God wants to do is bigger than here. And we want when you give for it to be bigger than just a building fund. We're not here just to fund the building, but we're here to fund a campus, a work that God wants to raise up. This isn't our permanent home. You look around today and you say, well, there's plenty of seats to fill. And they will be filled. But this isn't our permanent home. God has bigger plans for us. Amen. Yeah. What does the campus fund do? The campus fund helps with maintenance. It helps with our debt service on our note. The light bill, the water bill, the trash bill, the gas bill, the mowing bill. All the other bills. Church has bills just like you have bills. This is what campus offering does. And then his hour, his hour offering is our missions giving. Now, we call it His Hour Offering because when we began talking about giving to missions when we very first started, and we probably should have another service on this, but His Hour is, is a, a specific commitment that we make towards missions. Let me pause. Next Sunday, we'll have a commitment service, and so you don't have to make a written commitment today, but I'm just giving you information that you can pray about this week for next Sunday when we have stewardship commitment service. His hour is where we would simply say, I'm going to take the first hour's wage of my week, and I'm going to give it to missions. So that means if there's four weeks in a month, you would take the first hour's wage that you earn in a year, or in a month, each week. Putting that together, that would be your... His hour giving. These are not requirements. These are just avenues of giving. These are things that people can do if they want to give to missions. And you say, I don't know how much to give to missions. Well, his hour. Take your first hour's wage of every week and give it to missions. If you make $17,000 an hour, then give $17,000 a week to missions. If you make minimum wage, which is, I don't know where it is now. It's way more than when we were all kids. Twelve. If you make minimum wage, that's $12 an hour. You'd give $12 a week to his hour. If that's an avenue that you want to give. We call them avenues of giving here at Livestream Church because they're not a requirement. It's just ways that you can give. If you just want to give a wad of cash in the offering every Sunday, God bless you. Do it. So we have his hour. We have campus offering, which is funds that are designated to help the building and the campus and all that goes with that. And then we have general offerings. I say this for those that are interested. I don't know that the government has has made it any easier on us with recent tax law changes, but if you would like your tithes and offerings to be considered a donation to the church as a nonprofit, then we would ask that you use a giving envelope or if you give online to designate the amounts in the comment section on the online giving. That way we can appropriately give you a giving receipt at the end of the year and you can use that for your tax deductions but these are just avenues these are ways of giving so maybe you're asking the question how much should a person give in an offering how much should a person give We know in tithing, Abraham, and you guys remembered it great, Abraham set the first prescribed amount of tithing, 10%. And that's why it's called a tithe, because tithe means one-tenth. It's a tenth of giving. It's a prescribed amount. It's a prescribed process. There's a biblical expectation around tithing. So what does the Bible say about offering? Well, in Acts, if you read Acts chapter 2, it says they brought everything, 100%. Hold on. My understanding of Acts is that this was for a season of time. It was a season of incredible sacrifice from the people of God and in their belief of what God was doing. Some of them even believed that they would never see death before the Lord came and this didn't mean anything to them at all so they just gave it all anyway. And if you study Scripture, you learn that there became an overhead responsibility of managing it and, and giving out to others what they needed. I really don't want to get in the business of we all bring everything, and I get to decide which couch you sit on, and <laughs> Any pastor that would wish for that in their life must be insane. This this was a limited, and we know it was limited because there was just a few years later, Paul's writing to one of the churches, and he says, hey, can you guys take up an offering in your church that we can help the members in this church? So the 100% thing was, was for a period of time. And there should be periods of time in our lives, as directed by God or even commitments that are called by the leadership of our church to give 100% in dedication to the Lord. Not everything financially. You don't have to write your check over to the church, but we should be 100% committed to the cause and the vision and do everything we can support it. There are times that we take and we make commitments to sacrificially give to God. These are times that go over and above our regular tithe and offering stewardship commitments. If you've been a part of Live Spring Church at any length of time at all, you know we don't get up here every Sunday morning and auction off blessing. (laughs) February is our month to talk about stewardship. I don't talk about money very much, if at all, the other 11 months out of the year. It's in the Bible. It's there. But this is our month to focus on it. But if there are needs that arise, we'll... Bring them to the church and we'll talk through them. So you're still asking the question all right, how much should a person give in offerings? Well, let's look at some precedents in, in Scripture and, and we'll see where it leads us. In. in the Old Testament, there was a, an offering called the temple offering. You would read this and study it in Scripture. You would read that the tithing to the, off, to the church was called a shekel was their measurement of finance. A shekel was given as a tithe to the church. And there was a temple offering called the half shekel. The full shekel was given to the ministry. And the half shekel was used for the functioning of the church. I don't see in scripture where that is a perpetually prescribed giving amount. Some people use that as a biblical precedent to decide how much they want to give. But I see that that is as an, an Old Testament principle that applied to the temple. As we stated for a period of time, the outpour, after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, there was 100 percent given. But here's what I find Paul's instructions to the Christians in Corinth, and I think his instruction applies to us today. Second Corinthians chapter nine and verse seven. This is how much you should give in an offering. Everybody's on the edge of their seats. Second Corinthians 9 7. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Great. Give it 50 cents every Sunday. I feel convicted I have to give $5,000 every Sunday. He says, you can choose according to your heart how much you want to give, but then he sets some guardrails around that giving. Not grudgingly or of necessity. This is both sides. Don't make a commitment in offerings that's so large that you hate giving it. Did the pastor just say that out loud? Did he just say that I shouldn't give that much? Yeah. It is of of no benefit if when you give your tithe and your offerings, you hate doing it. There be no blessing in it. Because the blessing comes in being a cheerful giver. And don't give of necessity. Don't give just so that you meet the bare minimal needs of the church. All the necessary things of the church are made. Hey, pastor, can you give me an itemized Pay out of everything the church has for bills, and then we'll divide that up evenly among all the congregation, and we'll all give the exact amount so that all the needs of the church are met. And no, we're not giving just to meet the necessity of the church. We are making commitments in our heart when it comes to offerings, so that we can give over and above our ties, but we can give to a point that we can be a cheerful giver. So, how much can you give to God and still be happy about it? That's how much you should give an offering. I told you I'd have new stuff to tell you this Sunday you may not have ever heard before. I'm not in, I don't, I don't think the, the Bible gives us a prescribed amount for offerings because that takes away from it being the free will giving to God. We have a prescribed commitment between us and God. Our partnership with God is prescribed, it's biblical. But your partnership with the church is how committed you are to the church. So, how much should you give to God? You should give so much to God that you can still be a cheerful giver. Money is spiritual. There's three theological books in your house. This is a repeat. First theological book in your house is How to Be Saved, How to Live for God, How to Be a Disciple, How to Be a Maker of Disciples. It's the Bible. How to Live for God. It's a theological book in your life. The other two theological books in your life are your calendar and your check registry. Because they speak of the priorities in your life. They speak of the priority of your time. And the priority of your finance. Money is spiritual. If it wasn't spiritual, it wouldn't be in the top three things Jesus taught and talked about. Money matters. Money speaks of a person's condition in their heart. Where does greed come from? It's a matter of the heart. Where does pride come from? It's a matter of the heart. I think we would agree. Pride and greed have spiritual impacts on us. Pride and greed are manifested financially in people's lives. Cheerfulness is spiritual. And it can be demonstrated in our lives through finances. You ever been in a church, and I get it, there are times that the Holy Ghost moves and not every time this happens is obnoxious, but sometimes it is. Maybe I'm being too transparent today. But when people auction off the blessings of God, it just bugs me. We need this amount of money for this cause. Who's going to give $200? Stand up. Who's going to give $250? Stand up. I know there's 14 people that can give $25. It's like church telethon. It's called Jerry Lewis and raise some money. Now there may be a time that there's a specific need and we need to ask people to give to meet that need. but it's supposed to come from our heart because money is spiritual. Offerings are a representation of the consecrated partnership we have with God to bless His church. If someone said to you, I need you to uh, travel many miles from point A to point B, First thing you do is you would come up with a mode of transportation to get there. You would choose whether to drive your own vehicle, or maybe you're adventurous and want to take the train, or maybe you're crazy and want to go wait in an airport and fly, see if you can make the flight before they cancel it. But whatever it is, you would determine a mode of transportation. Well, we are all on a journey, we're going from here, earth, to there, heaven. And according to Scripture, there's only one mode of transportation to get from here to there, and that is the church. There's nobody going to show up in heaven walking in by themselves. Nobody's going to come a few days late because they decided to ride their bike to heaven. Nobody has a one-on-one, me and God have it figured out and we're just going to do it my way and, and we have our own separate arrangement. That's not how it works. You have to get to heaven through the church. You have to be obedient to the gospel. You have to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is the mode to get from here to there. That's our transportation. Offerings is this consecrated partnership with God on the maintenance of the transportation if you're going to drive from here to there and it's many miles you'll probably make sure the tires are aired up it's been a little while since you had an oil change you may say you know what I got a few miles I'm going to go ahead and get my oil change now you may swing by the car wash and get the outside washed off and Quickly vacuum the inside. You may go fire, I'm going to spend hours in this car. I don't want to smell my kids. I'm going to get an air freshener. You'll do whatever you have to to make the trip comfortable. You'll maintain the mode of transportation. This is what offerings do. You get my example today, the analogy. We are maintaining the church. It's how we get from here to there. Nobody wants to go to heaven in a jalopy. Where's the rust bucket that's going to take me to heaven? No, it's not attractive. We want to do our best to present this world, a mode of transportation that's going to lead them to heaven. Offerings is consecration. It's separation. Offerings are holiness. I choose what part of my money is separated, consecrated, dedicated to the church. Offerings are a part of a holiness lifestyle. Stewardship says that I am 100% committed to Jesus Christ. My heart, my soul, my emotions, my intent, my possessions all belong to God, even my money. So as a person, I'm 100% committed to God. Stewardship is more than paper bills and metallic coins. Stewardship is a heart issue. It's a matter of commitment to God. It's taking our earthly resources that we have been entrusted with by God and using them for God's purpose. Stand with me this morning. The benefit of stewardship messages or teaching is they've been shorter. I thought I'd get an amen on that. I've mentioned it already, but we don't preach about money every Sunday here at LifeSpring Church. Matter of fact, I looked. The last time I took this deep of a dive in tithes and offerings and stewardship was 2015. We're well due for a lesson series on stewardship. But we do set aside a couple Sundays every year in February to teach on stewardship. And so next Sunday is Commitment Sunday. And how many remembers... What we're going to do next Sunday. The Bible says. Paul in one of his writings says. I don't come to you with enticing words of men's wisdom. But I come to you with a demonstration. And so we want to see God demonstrate. And there's only one time in scripture. We already alluded to this. Where God tells us. Invites us to test him or to challenge him. And that's in our finances. And so next Sunday is not only is it commitment Sunday, but it's tithing demonstration Sunday. Now I've never done this before, but I got faith. I got faith in the word of God. And I believe God will honor those who are obedient and faithful in their stewardship. So if you're a regular steward, tithe and offering giver at Livespring Church, this will be nothing out of the ordinary for you if you've never given tithes to the church before maybe this will be a first but I would ask that we would all in unity join together next Sunday and bring one week's worth of tithing to God next Sunday and we're going to work and watch together and we're going to rejoice with one another as God demonstrates to us His faithfulness to stewards now those who are regular givers I'm going to ask you to have to do math if you want to give a whole month next week I guess that's fine but if you if you want to break up your, your normal giving into a, a week's giving that's fine as well next Sunday but let's all come and give a tithe and an offering next Sunday and let's have a demonstration Of what God's word says that he will do. How many is with me? Good. We'll also be making our annual stewardship commitments next Sunday. I've never been a part of a church that does that. Well, let me explain why we do this. One, we do this because we are financially responsible at LifeSpring Church. Every principle that I've preached to you that you and your family should have in stewardship, I believe we as a church should have in stewardship. So if you would have noticed in our giving when we did our business meeting a few weeks ago, our missions giving is always at least 10% of what comes in. That's what we budget, that's what we plan, that's what we do. It was, it was actually over 10% last year. What comes in, we want 10% to go out to bless others. And God blesses us for it. We as a church have never struggled financially. Now, we don't have a multi-million dollar building in the campus, and we don't have $45 different community programs going but we'll get there in time and in in planning and in resources but this is why we do Stewardship Sunday we have commitment cards and people make a commitment to their time, talent and treasure and and this allows us to appropriately budget our funds and us to make wise decisions that way when September comes we're not like hey you know winter's coming we need everybody to give 50% more than you've ever given so we can make the bills no we plan ahead Are financially responsible to you and to God. This is one reason we ask for commitments on Stewardship Sunday. But the second and more important reason is we're making an actual covenant with God. I believe when we make covenants with God, we take responsibility, we take accountability. And it helps us. It helps us in our commitment to the Lord. It helps us be deeper in our faith. It helps us to be more consecrated to God. So next Sunday we'll come together. We'll have demonstration Sunday and commitment Sunday together. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.